0: Thank you, Natalie. That was a really beautiful prayer. Well, good morning, again. Good morning. And as uh, Natalie had mentioned in her prayer, we are starting this new series that's really focused on questions. If you could, if you had the opportunity to have coffee with Jesus face to face and sat down with him, and you could ask just one question. Limiting it to one, Um, what would that? It could be a personal question. It could be a very general question. It could be a a theological question. It could be a a very practical question. Would you take a little bit? We'll probably put something out on social media asking you, and and uh, would you think about that? If you just had that one opportunity to ask him. Those questions, what would those questions be? And we're, we're not set in the questions that we're going to address, so we might hear from you and maybe change what we have a, a loose plan for. We're, we're going to have a little bit fun, like ask really practical questions, probably something like, Jesus, why do you care who I sleep with? That'd be an interesting question, wouldn't it? Or maybe a, a more profound theological question like, Jesus, why so much loss? Why so much suffering? I wanted to ask this interesting question. I didn't think that I was going to start here, but um, I decided I think it was because reading over the, the passion of Christ, walking through Holy Week, walking through um, Good Friday and so forth, and it reminded me of this question that was asked when I was, we were uh, planning a church outside of San Diego Years ago, and we had just a couple of small groups, and there was this one girl. we'll call her Angie, and she was a friend of one of our members, and she started coming, she wasn't a Christian, she had almost no Christian background whatsoever, but she was very interested spiritually. And so she's just asking questions and it's so fun and refreshing to have someone when it's brand new and they're asking questions. She's reading through, we're, we're walking through these stories of the passion of Christ and this was her question. It was like, well, why did someone have to die? Why, why, did, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, couldn't have... Well, it would be such a more pleasant story, <laughs> right? If, you could, if Jesus could have come healing, we like the healing, hold on to the healing, right? And, and all of that, and then, and then God just go, okay. Yeah, I, I created this awesome earth. I, I placed you in it to walk and journey with me and steward over that. And I gave you a little bit of free will and you messed it up royally. All right, I get it, so do over, right? Can we, just, can we just declare a do over? I'm not that much of a golfer, but I've heard of the term, if you hit a mulligan, if you hit a really bad shot. Like, wouldn't it be a, a more pleasant story if Jesus did the healing in there, and then he came into Rome, and he was like, mulligan. Yes. And then there was a, a second part of her question and questions that I, I found really fascinating, and she was like, "And why, you know?" She was wrestling as we talked about flogging and and the crucifixion. Like, why is so brutal and harsh? Why is that the story of Easter? Like when Jesus was like in the garden of Gethsemane and he's like, he's bleeding, he's like bleeding drops of blood and he's like, God, is there another way? Could you take this cup away from me? Like if God sets the rules, couldn't have he gone, yeah, drops of blood. Okay, let's rethink this for just a moment. Could we lean into the mulligan idea? All right. So I don't know how satisfactory of a answer that I gave Angie, but it was along the same lines that we're going to look at this morning. I think to really understand or at least grow in our understanding of, of what that answer might be, is there some key, I would say, biblical context to understand a little bit what was happening around the events of Holy Week and Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and then ultimately the resurrection, that there's some biblical context that I think helps us move a little bit closer to the answer. And what I want to do is is walk through some of those biblical Answers, but before I do, I want to kind of slow read just the the end. What was really prompting Angie uh, in these questions? I'm going to be reading in Mark 15. We'll have it uh, on the screens for you, but if you've brought your own Bibles, turn to Mark 15. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 12 when Jesus is with Pilate and he's already experienced some rejection and. Pain and he is before the crowd. And Mark uh, 15, 12 reads, What shall I do then with the one they call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked the crowd. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Remember Palm Sunday? This was the crowd. That was waving palm branches, Hosanna to the highest. They're like, Jesus is the man. I'm adding that. That's my own ver- Right, but they were like, You, yeah, yeah, revolutionary, yeah, bring it, bring it. And all of a sudden, kill him. Kill him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released. Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, flogged is just a, a quick reference. I'm just going to show a quick scene, just a a really short scene from the Passion of the Christ. And it, it's very. I'm not going to show the gory part. This is just the very beginning. All right, we're gonna. It's just the very beginning, and it's in Italian, but I just want to give you that like slow-down sense of what Christ endured, what Angie was talking about as she thought about this. We're just going to watch just the beginning of the flogging process. Might have seen the other instruments uh, on the table. Actually, don't know for sure if he received the the thirty nine. We do know that sometimes flogging would kill individuals. That there would be uh, into the strap sometimes bone or pieces of metal, and they would strip off the flesh as they they struck the body. We do know that Jesus, a carpenter, probably a strong man, was unable to carry his cross because of the damage in which they did. First time I saw that, it was a pre-screening at a church in Chicago. They invited about 500 pastors. and Boy, the weeping that took place among those pastors as we watched it and then, and the ridicule and the mocking of the soldiers. And then they, they turn them over halfway through the process. It's hard to watch. And I thought of Angie's question. Why so brutal? God. Verse 16, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call him to him, uh, call out to him, "Hail, King of the Jews!" Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him to be to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. You know the story—the either the palms or or the wrists, or and then in the feet. Sometimes they could have gone through the through the ankle and the front of the foot to secure it on the cross. Don't really know for sure how they did it. They crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see. What each would get, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Would you imagine this moment? Jesus on the cross and he's got two thieves on either side and at least one is hurling insults at him. The religious leaders yelling at him and mocking him the people satisfied with the crucifixion. He sees his mother and and John the Baptist and Mary Magdalene confused what's happening. Crucifixion, uh, you die oftentimes from suffocation. uh, When you... Spread out the, the arms, your, your body rests on the lungs and contracts the lungs. So you have, to, you have to push up on the pierced feet to bring yourself up to be able to breathe. And then when you grow too fatigued, you rest back in, and it cuts off the oxygen again. And then you have to push yourself up to breathe again, excruciating pain when you have no water or food, deprivation sets in, fluid fills the lungs. And then, finally, even though the body has a strong will to live, you can't push yourself up anymore. And oftentimes, that's how people die. It was so excruciating that even the Romans, the harsh Romans in the 400s, declared it illegal because of it. it was so harsh. We'll pick up the story at 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. This Jesus is helping us understand and reflect a little bit. He's quoting Psalm 22 of what was taking place, this forsakenness of him from his own father. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge With vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. I've always seen that as a beautiful confession. And yet I wondered from Angie's perspective, the Son of God, if Jesus was his Son, why so brutal? Why so harsh? Why the humiliation? Why the death? So again, to begin to answer that, I think it's important that we look at key biblical context and want to start with an important concept biblically that we all know but we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about it in parties. We don't like to talk about it in our own sense when we're meditating and in prayer. And that is this idea of sin. Sin, you could simply define it as not loving God or others well. If God is the source of all goodness and righteousness and holiness, it's doing what God would not have us do. It's turning away from him. And I'd like you to think for a moment about the enormity of sin, the gravity of sin, Would you think for a moment and meditate? We'll just spend a little bit of time on this ugly biblical concept. But think for a moment about the depth of sin and its power. That sin, we all know, can get a hold of us. It can wrestle us to the ground without mercy. If you've ever struggled with addiction or walked with people in addiction, in particular, you've seen the power of sin over the life of an individual, what it can have so easily. It can rob us of all the people we love and the things we love. The Apostle Paul talks about sin a lot Especially Romans 7, he talks about the the depth and the power of sin. Just reading one segment, one verse from that. He's saying, sharing about himself. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. We can all go, yeah, I get it. Paul, I get it, I, I see it. The first time I really realized the power of sin and reflected on the power of sin was in seminary, and there was about five of us, a, a pastor who's just a little bit older, still in his 30s, and some of us semin, seminarians. We were walking through, and we decided, we were learning and growing, we're in kind of this accountability group, and, and we decided to hold one another accountable for lust. Right, And so we're, uh, we were wrestling through that. One, one guy was engaged, uh, well not engaged yet, but he was, he was dating seriously and he was trying to maintain biblical sexual boundaries. He needed accountability for that. Some were, uh, most of us were married and often we we're focused on our thought life. Like how can we help? And I'm going to date myself a little bit. But the uh, internet, you know the dial-up internet? we realized we didn't, have it, we, we didn't have lust in our phone in our pocket. We had to dial up lust after 5 p.m., right? We realized that really nothing good happened after 5 p.m. And I had an old-school answering machine that you could listen to, and so I was the uh, designated driver, as it were. If anyone dialed up on the Internet after 5 p.m., they would call my answering machine. And I would be able to see them the next day and say, how did it go? Were you good? Did you mess up? There's one of us who had a history that really struggled with pornography, especially on the internet. And so, again, we were kind of And I thought, what is this thing called sin that has these five guys that... You know, they love Jesus. They, they, we've given our lives to Him. We, we in many instances, we have beautiful, life-giving wives and healthy marriages, and we just want to serve Him. And yet, we have to call an answering machine after five p.m. because we realize the the power and the deception that we that we need this accountability and confession. What power! is this in our lives? Would you think not only about the power of sin, but would you think of the pollution of sin? You see, us five knew that if we left sin unchecked, that it could pollute every single area of our lives. It could take away ministry it could crumble our marriage and our healthy relationships that the the pollution it can touch there's not a single area in our lives say maybe the spirit within us that sin cannot pollute and infiltrate i often mention some of my favorite words of jesus these are some of my least favorite words of Jesus. Is it okay that I have least favorite words of Jesus? You'll understand why. Jesus went on, this is Mark 7:20, "What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, I's going to list 12 evil thoughts. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Would you add some more modern and heinous terms to this, like racism and rape? Deception and duplicity. Injustice. All of this. Would you think not just this past year. Would you think of the generations. Let's just go back 2,000 years to the moment of Jesus. And you take all of that. There is a. There's an Author. Who wrote this, he was reflecting and he said If I wrote down every thought I ever had and every deed I ever I had ever done, men would call me a monster of depravity. It was a clear moment. Now I, I don't know if this correlation works out necessarily in this way. But would you think about all of those generations of that nastiness and the ugliness and include your own sin in that when Jesus was on the cross that rested on him? And again, I don't know if it's a correlation, but what I've learned is as I reflect on the passion and the flogging and the mocking, and the spitting, and the nails, and the suffocation, I begin to reflect on the depth of sin, the depth of my sin. And I begin to reflect on the depth of God's love for us. Does the depth of sin correlate to the brutality and the passion of Christ? I don't really know fully, but I, I, I do know that through that, there's a, there's a deepening of thanksgiving and love in return. Now, there's a second important biblical concept that we often miss we want to go from the love, we want to go from the our sin to the love of God. But this concept is there's a concept in between it and it's called the justice of God. Really, it's a, a two-part idea of the holiness and the justice of God. Think of of justice and holiness of, of doing what is right, writing uh, what is wrong. And if you fail, to do, if you have the power to do something, to right a wrong, and you don't do it, then you are not a just person, right? You are not doing justice. If you are a judge, and you don't judge, make a judgment fairly or rightly, then you're not a person of justice. And the question is, is God a God of justice, or is he not? And if he is a God of justice, this relates to the depth of our sin. The, the biblical revelation is that indeed that is the cornerstone of God's who God is. Think first for about his holiness. This idea, Hannah prayed this when she was granted pregnancy in a child she said in her prayer there was no one holy like the lord there was no one beside you there's no rock like our god This idea of holiness, of of purity and righteousness, that there is no sin within God, and yet also this idea of a holy separation that's included in this idea of holiness. Think of Moses when he saw the burning bush. What did God tell him to do? Take off your sandals. You're on sacred ground. God could not... Be, cannot be in the presence of sin and unrighteousness in fact God is also referred to as a consuming fire and that consuming fire relates to God is holy and holy other and we are not and if our sin gets in contact with him what happens? well we're pretty flammable aren't we? Now think about this idea of justice. The psalmist said this, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Because God is a God of justice, He will ensure that the innocent are vindicated and the guilty are punished. If he does not vindicate the innocent, he's not a God of justice. If he does not punish the guilty, he is not a God of justice. If there is no injustice, then we feel that in our bones. We go, God, hey, what happened? See, oftentimes we only think about the cross in terms of the perpetrator of sin. What is helpful is if we think about from a perspective of those who have had sin perpetrated against them, and in fact, we really want God to be a God of justice, right? If we're, if we're not, if He were not, we would cry out. Let's, let's imagine for a moment that. Mark said something to offend my wife, Kendra. I know Mark would never do that, so I can use him as an example, right? And I was so stirred with anger that I took Mark's life, right? That'd be bad? Yes. And let's pretend that Jedediah were a judge, and I stood before Jedediah, and he said, You know what? That's pretty horrible, but you know what? That was just a moment of weakness on Eric's part. I'm going to excuse him. you would be gracious. Marsha, would you be good with that? No, you would not be good with that. Would anyone be good with that? It's like, where's the justice, Scott? What's happening? That's not okay. Jedediah comes back and says, listen, come on, Marsha. There's this concept in golf called mulligan. Can you just take it and can you call it good, right? You, you see that there is this demand of justice that because of who God is his character his holiness and his righteousness he despises sin he burns up sin so he couldn't just go you know what all right you guys are horrible but let's do over right there's this conundrum he he loves us he cares for us but he is a god of justice and we are sinners to the core so what's he going to do with this conundrum? I call this a, a Category 5 conundrum. What's he going to do? You know, I, I, I do have an idea. He could, he could have done this. He could have come and said, you know what? All right, I'm going to do a mega mulligan. I'm going to find one family, maybe the masts, who haven't committed too much, and I'm going to wipe everybody else out. Because they're a sin to the core. And then we'll just start over with the masts. Oh, wait. He did do that with Noah, right? And the flood, and he, he promised, like that rainbow, right? He said, I won't do that again. So that, was, he, that option was off the table. How about this option? I'll just choose a family, a people and I'll love them really well I'll adopt them as my own children I'll give them my my law and my truth and then they my law and truth will overcome their sin I'll I'll build in a sacrificial system for when they sin but then they will live it so well they'll be a light to the rest of the world he tried that What's he going to do? How in the world? Sometimes I think of the gospel in this way it is the nearly inconceivable brilliance of the resolution of love. That on the cross, he mingles. His justice and love. And from the cross flows his grace and mercy. When people yell out, God, where is the justice in this? Christians can say, let me talk to you about the cross. Someone did pay the price. The, the penalty and the justice was done. When someone says, God, I thought you loved me. Where is your love? As Christians, again, we can say, don't you see the cross as this nearly inconceivable love of the Father? Paul says this in Romans 5, God, but God demonstrated, demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified, that, that's, we've been made right, we, we've been absolved. The penalty, the fulfillment of justice on Christ by his blood How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath, that consuming fire through him? On that Friday at Golgotha, the place of the skull, your sin rested on Jesus. On the cross with the spikes, the demand of justice was settled once And for all, as Isaiah proclaimed prophetically hundred of years before, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. The famous theologian, John Stott put it this way, he went through all of that not for the sake of gruesome and a gory show, he endured this agony not because God is bloodthirsty and simply wanted somehow someone to suffer, he did it because he loves you and he wanted to show you how much he loves you. And that he understands your pain, your suffering, and will do, endure anything for you. I think this helps us understand a little bit of the exclusivity of Christ. Why Christ Jesus? Well, I mean, why not some of the famous people in history like Buddha or Mohammed, Plato or Socrates George Washington, Hamilton. You see, they were all part of the conundrum. They all, like you and I, shared in the power and the pollution of sin. It had to be Jesus Christ. That's why the early church proclaimed this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It couldn't have been anyone else. Everyone was caught In this conundrum, it helps us understand a little bit of the the necessity of God's grace. We couldn't work our way out of this Category 5 conundrum. Good works can be valuable and good in response, but good works does not equate to justice. I couldn't do enough of good things. You know what, Marsha, I'm just going to do enough good things to make up for taking Mark's life. It doesn't work that way. We can't work ourselves into heaven. It had to be God's grace. It had to be God's mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by God's grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. It couldn't have been by works. So that no one can boast. It had to be grace. In that verse, Paul points us to our role to play. You know, we do have a role to play in this. Even though it's granted by God, the role is faith. And I like the simplicity of Romans 10.10. says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. You're, you're made right. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Saved not just uh, from the conundrum of sin, but for all eternity with the Lord. People try to add to this simplicity, right? The pseudo-Christian faiths, they try and say, follow this certain leader and and this, and and, and she's articulated the gospel, would you follow that? No, uh -uh. you can't add to it. Certain people will, will try and say, well, yes, you have to do that, but also you have to be baptized this way. You have, to, you have to add this certain thing from the Old Testament, all that. Nope. You just believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. You will be saved. We simply believe and we receive and then we live it every day. I had a friend who said recently, just preach the gospel to yourself every day. We live with this humility because of our sin and transgressions every day. Because of the, the holiness and the justice of God, we live with a reverence every day. Because of his mercy and his grace, we live with this gratitude and thankfulness every day. Because of his loving kindness poured out to us, we live every day with this loving kindness. I'm going to invite the worship team forward and just give us a chance to respond to this. And for some of you, you might have never made that decision to receive Christ, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. For some of you, perhaps you've never understood the the conundrum quite this way. And you just want to say, God, I'm all in. Would you pray with me? Lord, I think of that hymn, famous hymn that says, see from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love mingle down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? So, Lord, we come to you. Lord, we come with a reverence, with a humility, with a thankfulness and a gratitude, Lord. Lord, would you help us to live your life every day? Lord, Easter is a a week past. Lord, would you help us to celebrate your, your great sacrifice, your passion, and your resurrection for our benefit if anyone would like to receive Christ for the first time I just want to give you that opportunity whether at home or here in the sanctuary and there's nothing to add to it it's a Believe in your heart. And you confess with your mouth. I'll just walk you through the prayer that you can pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. Just pray that prayer. And just between you and the Lord, if there's anything he would lead you to confess, just lay it. If you want to recommit. Be all in. Just lay that before him. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my benefit. That you fulfilled the demands of God's justice in that suffering. Just pray that and confess that in your heart. Lord, I ask that receive your life, your Holy Spirit in me to live this new life of humility and reverence, of thankfulness and love.